I could have changed a lot sooner if I had listened to the wisdom people were speaking into my life. And if I would have listened more to the truths of God versus what I wanted the truths of God to be. Because like I said, his word didn't change. He hasn't changed. But what I wanted it to be was different. I wanted him to do different things because I wanted to feel like I was enough. So I just kept chasing after it. I can't tell you how many days I fasted and prayed and wrote the truths of God out about marriage and Mm -hmm. declarations of what God was going to do in my life. And they weren't coming true. And I would listen to podcasts and I would listen to worship music and I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? He was there the whole entire time. He just wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. So I felt like he was missing, but he wasn't missing at all. He was waiting for me to realize that this isn't my plan for you, Charlie. This is not what I have for you. I have a life plan for you that is far greater than you can imagine. And what you're asking me to do is not my best for you. If you would let go, just let go, then I will give you my best. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. I'm so happy you're here because my guest, Charlie Griffin, is the sweetest, sweetest young woman who has a precious story of leaving addiction behind, the lie she believed about herself, that she was not enough, and the revelation that sometimes what we think are God's plans for us turn out to be what we thought he wanted and not what he had for us at all. Charlie and I really dug into regret, guilt, shame, and looked at it through several different angles because I wanted to find all the ways that it surfaces and what it looks like. Charlie's transformation began when she learned that God did love her, that she was enough to him. No matter what she'd done or where she found herself, God said she was enough. The power of her transformation really grabbed some major traction when she moved from what she thought she knew about God to discovering him for who he truly was, from what she believed and reasoned in her own mind to what she discovered about him with her heart. As you listen to her to her talk, you will hear that she is thoughtful about what she says and how she reveals the heart of God. You'll also hear her love of God pour forth, and you'll understand why as she tells you about her journey through addiction, trying her best to save her marriage, only to realize she's fighting against God, how God used her four-year-old daughter to give her a reality check, and the beauty of the knowledge that she lives in and with today. Friend, since you're listening in, I want to encourage you. Hang on to this truth. No matter what this life wants to label you with or put on you, keep the eyes of your heart on God because he's writing a love story with you, an overarching love story with you as the individual he created you to be. 
Charlie, thank you so much for stopping by here today and being vulnerable with this type of conversation. It's not a place that a lot of people want to find themselves at, but you have a beautiful story of coming out of addiction and abuse. And that's what we're here to talk about today is the goodness of God, despite what this life tries to put on us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So give us a little bit of story. What was life like before the abuse came in or was it the addiction that came first? I grew up in a very structured home. My dad was in the military. My mother suffered from mental illness and he was very structured. She was very opposite. So when he was home, things were one way. And when he was gone, things were completely opposite. I grew up gifted with a 4.0. I thought I'd go to school and be a scientist, and this is the dreams I had for myself. We went to church, but it was a very religious church, and it taught you more about the wrath of God. I never had heard anything about who God was as a father and who, how He loved us, and, but I had a fear of God. So after graduating high school, I moved off to go to college, and that is when I began doing drugs. It filled a void in my life that... I didn't even realize I had, which at that time, I just thought it was fun. And it grew from something so small to something huge. I started doing drugs and then I started hanging out with people who did drugs. And the more I was around that environment, the more I was influenced by it. Once I was arrested for the first time, my mentality was that I'm going to hell anyway because I can't be saved because God can't love me. And I've already done this. So I might as well continue on. That's the way I lived every day of my life for years is I'm going to bust hell wide open. So let's go. When you live like that, there's no limits to what you will do and what you will, what situations you put yourself in because you have no fear. You're willing to roll the dice because you're going to bust hell wide open. Like you said, Backing up a little bit, you were talking about your family life and how it was contradictory. And even in the uh, context of getting into church, it was very legalistic. What are your thoughts on how your family of origin shapes your mindset for when you're on your own? I absolutely believe that what you hear and what is spoken over you makes you become who you are because I can use this as an example. And it took me years to find this. I I always struggled with why am I not enough? Why am I never good enough? Why am I not? Why was I not good enough for my ex-husband? Why was I not good enough? I was like, God, tell me why I have always felt like I'm not enough. And it visually came to me. And I remember bringing home a report card and it was all A's on the report card. And I gave it to my dad and he has this really dry sense of humor. And although he meant nothing harsh by it, it was his sense of humor. But he said, try a little harder next time and you can make all 100s. Try a little harder. I had done my very best. I'd made the principal's list. I'd made all A's and his little joke. And he would say that every time. Oh, if you try a little harder, you might can make all 100s. And then my mother would make comments to my siblings and I and tell us we were stupid and When she would get angry, she would scream and speak these things to us. We were going to be fat, that no man would ever want us. We better rely on our brains. And so you don't realize the impact of those things on you. But when I moved out and I had this mindset that God didn't love me because I wasn't this certain 
religion that I wasn't living this certain lifestyle that God couldn't love me because I sinned too much. You felt like you weren't enough. I think a lot of people will resonate with that because our parents, what they speak into our lives, what they speak over our lives does mold a certain lens that we see ourselves with, a lens that we look at the world around us through. And it does dictate to us how we will live and how we perceive ourselves in the context of the people, relationships, whether it's a job we think we're worthy of or a relationship we think we're worthy of. So it is huge. But in the end, our parents are merely humans, broken like we are. Nobody's perfect. I can't think of a family that anyone has come out of that is perfect. So at some point, and maybe this is further on down um, in your healing process, but for me, I have to take responsibility for myself. What are your thoughts on that from reflection now, the point you're at? From where I'm at now, the way I look at it now is like, you can take an egg and a potato and you can put them both in boiling water and one will get hard and one will get soft. And it's not what happens around you that defines you. It's what's within you. So you have to choose who you're going to become. You have to allow yourself to heal. You have to uh, identify what the issues are and you have to take those circumstances and don't let them define you. They can be the things that motivate you to be a better person, but you can't let them define you because you and I could have had the same exact life and turned out completely opposite because of what's within us, not what happened to us. That is so profound. That is so good. I hope people hear that today because I know that is going to settle some hearts down when they're running in their cycles of of their own abuse as far as not being able to break out of patterns and uh, thought life, thought language mindsets, things like that, that keep them captive. Since it boils down to what's on the inside, then it makes sense that we should partner with Christ in order to rewrite what the world has tried to put on us. Do you find some value in that being a spiritual rewriting, if you will? Absolutely, because there's something really powerful about our identity in Christ. And it's not until I started to discover how God loved me that I realized that I was worthy. And I was begging, just show me, show me you love me. Just show me you love me. And as God has shown me, he's loved me over and over and over. And sometimes even now, you know, years after things, I just need reassurance. And he does that because he loves us so much, but it's made me realize my value because I am a child of the King. And I'm an overcomer because he says I'm an overcomer. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday, what happens today or what happens tomorrow. He holds it all in his hands and he has this perfect plan for my life. And not even I'm big enough to mess up his plan for my life. That's the beautiful part about it, because I sure tried. (laughs) I feel like I have to. So this rewriting, when you are leaning into understanding your identity in Christ, what does that process look like? Or what was something that really helped you solidify your identity? What was a breakthrough in this process? For me, it's two major things that happened in my life. I chose to go to a faith-based rehab and it was teen challenge based, but it wasn't your typical uniform rehab. It was exactly what God 
had for me because it's exactly what I needed. I never experienced God in a loving way as a loving father, like I said. And so when I went to this teen challenge, the people there were so loving. They loved God more than I'd ever seen. It was called Souls Harbor. I was actually the first woman they ever accepted. When I got there, I was a little overwhelmed with their boldness and how much they love God. And I was a little overwhelmed with how much they love me. And they just met me. I was like, these people can't love me. You can't love somebody you just met, but they did. And they were so wonderful. They poured love into me in every way. I don't even know how to describe. It was a family that started this ministry and they mainly focused on men. And when I called and asked them about coming, they said, we've never taken a woman, but let us pray about it tonight and we'll call you tomorrow. When they called back, they said, you have to be here today. And I was like, oh, so I went and they just loved me and they loved me without a motive. And I have to say that is the first time in my life that I ever experienced love without a motive, mm-hmm. love without a reasoning and someone that loved me just because they loved me. So this was a very defining moment for me, realizing who I was. It made me realize that I had value and I was lovable and I was worthy of love. Then I would say the second defining moment in my life was the moment I had my daughter. The very moment I seen her face, I knew I could never go back to anything like that. And that I would do whatever it took to give her the life she deserved and to be the mother that God had called me to be. So those are two defining moments for me. You meet the love of God through Soul Harbor, which you compared to Teen Challenge. And then the birth of your daughter. And that's just a taste of how God feels about us. Just a shadow of how crazy mad and love God is with us. You mentioned earlier about finding the love of God. You were getting a legalistic message in his house, the church. And even today you go back and say, Lord, I just need your reassurance that you love me. So we have these things that still pop up. I don't know if it's from childhood, but it's certainly in the human genetic makeup. I don't know if that's the right term, but we want to know that we're loved and seen. I think it's important that we do go back to God on a daily basis and ask for that reassurance, mainly because it keeps us engaged in relationship. How do you maintain your relationship with God daily? Other than prayer, of course, and music is really a big thing for me. Like it's the way I spend a lot of time is just music, but I have devotionals that I do that always bring me back to have friends that have sent me devotionals and things that bring me that. But one of the main things that I've realized for me is speaking positive affirmations and speaking God's truths over my life. They say it takes the human brain something like 29 days to form a habit. So when I find myself thinking a certain way or thinking negative, I will write out 10 truths about myself. And I will say them over myself for, for a month. And you may not believe it on day one or day two, but eventually one of those days you're going to wake up and you're going to like, you know what? I am an overcomer. I am a child of God. I am financially stable. I am whatever it is. And so speaking that over myself, because you can pray it and people can tell it to you and people can say, you know, this is going to happen and that. And it's hard to have faith sometimes when you can't see a way out. But if you just speak it over yourself over and over and over, you begin to believe 
who you are and see who you are. That's important because when we look at the influence that our parents had on us to speak into our lives at an early age, and we still see these things trigger sometimes into our lives, and we need to go back to God to have him rewrite them, it makes sense that speaking new things over our lives, rewriting the lies, and earlier you said something about, I don't know if you said it exactly this way, but identifying what a problem is in your life, giving it a name, identifying it, and then going at it to resolve it and and give a solution to it. Now here you are rewriting the lie or rewriting a belief system in order for you to become someone new. Perfect sense to me. So you see some truth to rewriting the lies that you grew up with, with the truth of who God says you are. Has that been your experience? Absolutely, because however you see yourself is how you're going to function in life. And you witness it every day. People view themselves through a victim mentality, or they view themselves as poor, or they view themselves as wealthy. Whatever you view yourself as, you wake up every day and you live that way. Even if you aren't exactly where you're supposed to be or where you're going. If you speak those things over yourself, you begin to see yourself for who you are and who God has called you to be. Because I know that for me personally, like I've told you, I've always felt like I was never enough. And that's one of the big things when I get in my head, that's where I find my biggest battles are in life is in my own mind. I remind myself, I start speaking truths over myself that I am enough, that I've always been enough. And that when God created me, that I was enough in the womb and that he formed me with a purpose and he had a, a purpose for my life all the way from then. And no matter what was spoken over me as a child, that his purposes were always there. So speaking it over yourself and just knowing that God's purposes are good and his intentions are good for us, then you start to see yourself differently. That reminds me of the Bible verse about taking everything captive to Christ. We have a trigger or we have pain or regret, shame come up in our lives and it wants to take us down, tear us down. And so then we take this lie or whatever is causing us pain and we look at the word of God and we say, where's the truth that you have for us, Father? What do you say about me? How do you interpret that scripture, taking captive every thought to God? Part of that. Absolutely. is the way you're describing it is asking yourself when this thought comes into your mind, or even if you dwelled on the thought for a while, just asking yourself, what does God say about it? What is the actual truth? Because you can focus so much on it. You can make it become your reality. So knowing whether it's focusing on truths about yourself, going through the Bible and finding, you can find hundreds of truths of your, about yourself or scripture, reading it over yourself, but that's the way it is for me. Like one of the biggest scriptures is that I always speak over myself when I get in a place is second Samuel twenty two thirty three. God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. That always reminds me that no matter what's going on in my life, he is going to pull me through it. And he has a perfect plan for my life. And He's going to see it through to the end, regardless of what my current situation looks like. I have to remind myself of that sometimes that 
he has this perfect plan for me and he is going to see it through because he's God. And that's what he said he was going to do. And he cannot lie. Amen. You said earlier that you cannot mess up his plans. You're not that powerful or you're not God. And I love that. That is a security net for me. It doesn't matter how far off the chart I get or far off of this plan that he has for me. Whenever I get back on or back in the path of what he has for me, he picks up as if I was never gone. He redeems what I come back with. Usually I come back with my luggage. I've got regret or shame or whatever, and I show up with it and he heals it. He redeems it and he moves on from it. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to addiction, what's the most painful thing addiction did for you? What did it leave you with? Addiction left me with an emptiness that made me become more empty because the higher you get and the more drugs you do, the more it takes to fill that void. And in that moment, I never realized the thing that I was searching for was Jesus. The entire time, the emptiness was Jesus. I tried harder and harder and harder to fill that void. And I never could because that's not what I was searching for. And there's no substance on this earth that can replace the feeling of the Holy Spirit. There's not one that can take and make you feel peace. There's the peace of God and the joy of God is something that is not, it cannot be duplicated or replaced. So addiction left me with an emptiness, a void that could not be filled Mm -hmm. until I met Jesus. And is there a distinction with what abuse left you with, or is it the continual abusing yourself and somebody else abusing you? When we say abuse, I can look at that in two different ways is verbal abuse and physical abuse, because I've experienced verbal abuse through my childhood and through marriage and manipulation is also a form of abuse and gaslighting. Those types of abuse left me feeling again, like I was not enough. And it left me with the most shame and the physical abuse And I have no idea why, but it just made me feel shame and guilt. It left me feeling like, what could I have done different? What could I have changed? It left questions in my mind, like why made me want to know how I could be different, how I could be better. It made me question who I was. Even though I did not do those things to myself, it still left me feeling like I was the problem. What does staying in that victim role do? As long as you can live in that victim role, you just continue to see yourself as a victim. I wish I could say that as soon as things started happening in my life, as soon as I started seeing signs of manipulation and verbal abuse before it ever became physical, I wish I would have left. I wish I would have left the very first time anything physical ever happened. But I didn't feel like I was enough. And if I could be enough, then those things weren't, wouldn't happen again. If I could fix the things in me that were wrong, that made him the way he was, then they wouldn't happen again. And so living with that as my mindset made me strive to be someone that I was never created to be. And it made me think that I was the problem when God was trying to show me the whole time that he had a purpose for my life and he had 
things he wanted to heal in me, but I could not fix other people. And unfortunately, that is part of my nature. I love helping people and I'm a fixer. And so it's very hard for me to leave a situation because I feel like I can help them. I think part of that is being a Christian. Once God lives in you, you want to help people and you have this desire to just reach out and love people and show them the love of God. Sometimes you get so lost in that when you're in a situation of abuse that you're wanting to help them. But there's a fine line between loving and enabling. Good distinction. You have to figure out what that is for you. Sometimes it's very harsh boundaries. Sometimes it's walking away from a situation, which is not always easy, but God has this plan for us and it's painful, but he does something beautiful. There is a distinction between equipping and enabling. I believe that a hundred percent. Did you experience guilt in this context of addiction and abuse? Guilt overwhelmed me with addiction because when you're an addict, you make choices and you do things and you say things that you normally wouldn't because you're on a substance that takes away your desire to care. Numbs everything that's in there. So I was absolutely left with overwhelming feelings of guilt. And that was one of the, one of the most beautiful moments. I remember going to the altar and just repenting and repenting and repenting. And then I would go back and I would do it. And there was an evangelist that came by and I never met the man. So I knew he didn't know my story and he came over and he bent down and he said, God said, what are you talking about? When he sees you, he sees his beloved. He sees his child. He sees his daughter that he has cast that as far as the East is from the West. And it wasn't until that moment that I really could grasp what forgiveness was. He loved me so much. And that even though I'd done a million things wrong, he still seen me as beautiful. He still seen me as his child. That was a defining moment for me. Sometimes I still have to go back to that moment because that's what life, people, the devil, that's what they do is they bring back your past and you can sit there and live in your past and you can feel the guilt and the shame. But I remind myself of that moment 10, 11 years ago that God has already forgiven me of that. He set me free from that then. He sees me as his daughter and he sees me as his beloved and he loves me. Just like we were talking about a child. I learned so much being a mother about love, about the love of God. And when they make me want to pull my hair out, I think about how we keep running back to things that we know is going to hurt us. We know is going to break us, but he's right there to pull us right back. He loves us as much as he did before we made those mistakes. I've learned so much about that being a parent because it doesn't matter how crazy they act or the things they do, it doesn't change the way you love them. And that spoke to me as a woman because it made me really believe more than ever how much God loves me. Because if he loves me more than I could love my child, then it's a love that can't be described. It's a deep love. So everything that has brought me guilt and everything that has brought me shame, he doesn't see that because he loves me so deeply. Mm-hmm. I'm like you in the sense that I've learned the majority of my understanding about God has come to me through the experience of being a mother and having children. Like you said, there's nothing they can do 
that would ever stop me from loving them. Now, they may disappoint me, break my heart. I might be saddened for their choices or whatever, but I would still lay my life down for them. What did addiction take from you? I would definitely say it took my self-worth. It took my value. And for the longest time, I believed it took my future because like I told you, I graduated with a 4.0 and I had a world of potential. And I always felt that I squandered that potential. But what I didn't realize that even though I felt like addiction stole those things from me, that God's purpose is way bigger than anything I could ever do, that he was going to take the things that I thought ruined my life. And he was going to use those for his glory. He has things planned for me that I don't even know yet. God's plans for me are good, regardless of what choices I made then. And he is going to see them through and he's going to use those. And he has good plans for my life. It's never about us. It's about God. But he always makes it about us when we come to him, especially in that repentance and that submission posture where we come to this point in our lives where we realize there's nothing we can do except agree with God that your sovereignty is what I need. So I'm going to submit myself to you and invite you to make a move on my behalf. What is a beautiful way that God attended to you in one of your most desperate moments? Did he say something? Did you get his presence a vision? Growing up thinking that God was just this man in the sky that was there to zap you when you did bad and not experiencing him as a loving father. I didn't really know how to receive his love. So when I was in the midst of addiction, I can count numerous times that my life was in such a mess. And I remembered calling out to God and being like, there's no way you could love me. There's no way you could. But if you can hear me right now, if you could hear this prayer, could you just save me? The defining moment for me when I prayed, I was in this jail cell in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I was looking out this tiny one by one window. And I was like, God, I know you don't love me. I know there's no possible way I could be saved. And I don't even know if you can hear my prayers because sin blocks your prayers from God and and God can't hear you. These are the things I've always been told. So I don't know that you can hear me, but if you can hear me, if you love me, could you save me from myself? And not because I was supposed to, but a little while later, they let me go. Shortly after that is when I went to that faith-based rehab and I put away the Bible that I was raised with and got an expanded version. And I said, God, show me who you are as a father. Show me who you are, not by a word from a pastor, not by any religion. I just want to know who you are. And as I read through this, I wanted to develop a relationship with you for who you are and how you see me and how I am supposed to see you. I want a new vision of who you are. I want a new grasp of how you love me and how you feel about me. And that's where he began showing me everything. That's so good. 
that you make that distinction because we are quick when we're staying in our victim mentality, we are quick to point the finger at that pastor who was too legalistic or the the church lady that's drinking when she's not in church. We use other people and hold God responsible for what other people have done. And then we don't dig into the Lord. That's huge to me that you went to him and said, no, I need to know who you are myself, you and me. I need you to speak and show me who you are. And then he opens up the floodgates with revelation and presence. When it comes to guilt and shame, how can that cripple your life, your future? I know we were talking about earlier marriage as being a covenant and there's scriptures in the Bible that tell you don't get divorced. For me, although my husband had been having affairs and there was mental abuse and there had been previously physical abuse, I felt so much shame because I felt like I was supposed to stay with him, that God wanted me to because his word said, don't get divorced. And so I could find myself saying over and over, well, God is going to redeem the situation. He is going to use this and make this a testimony of how great he can. That's the way I viewed everything as how he was going to redeem our marriage as a whole. And I could never see as him just redeeming me and him pulling me out of the situation and changing my life. That's never what I viewed because I was so full of shame and guilt because I couldn't make it work. And it wasn't until I went into an attorney's office and I went to file for a divorce. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you've never been married. I was like, I've been married for eight years. He said, no, he was married when he married you. So in the state of Louisiana, that is an absolute nullity. Mm-hmm. So you've never been married. That was like a weight lifted off of me because I was no longer bound to something, which God had already freed me from. That gave me what I needed to be able to walk away from the situation. And through healing and searching myself, I realized that the whole time I wasn't wanting God to redeem our marriage. I was really wanting to prove to myself I was enough. Mm -hmm. I was enough to make this work. I was enough for him to change. I was enough for him to want our family to work. I was enough for him to stop going back to addiction. The whole time I thought I was doing it for Jesus and I thought I was doing it because that's what I was supposed to do. But the whole time it was me wanting to prove to myself that I was enough, that he would choose me over other women. It wasn't until I realized that that's what I was chasing that I quit chasing it. I was sitting in my car in the carport listening to music and I realized you're not chasing a redemption of your marriage. You're not chasing that. What you're chasing is someone to validate you are enough and you're already enough. And God keeps telling you you're enough. So why do you keep putting yourself back in the situation to be hurt and broken more when God keeps telling you, you are enough, you're enough, you're enough. You don't have to keep going back. And it wasn't until I had that revelation that God spoke to me that I was enough for the millionth time that he had to tell me that I realized that I didn't have to be shameful. I didn't have to feel guilt because I couldn't make it work because I couldn't make him choose me because that wasn't what God was doing. He wasn't trying to redeem that. He was going to redeem me. You talk about the being enough and 
in that shifting moment where you realize you are indeed enough and that you could wake up in the morning, take your first breath and never get out of bed and you're still enough. You don't have to do a thing. You could sit all day long, do nothing. You're still enough in Christ. That's a lot of freedom. What sort of freedom are you feeling now as you solidify your understanding of your identity in Christ? I feel like I keep going back to this, but being in a very legalistic, religious environment, it's a do thing. You have to do this to be enough. You have to pray this much. You have to do this. Checklist. Right. And once you realize, once I realized that God loved me right where I was at, right in that moment, no matter if I'm in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of chaos, that he loves me and he has this plan for me, it changes everything. It changes the way I view everything. Like no matter if it's a financial situation, because I know that I am enough and God is going to provide. He always has. And he's never failed me and he's not going to start now. I may have a day or two. I sit there and dwell in events or the pain. I may let it bring up old things, but I remind myself that God said I'm enough. And that although I can't see the outcome now, he has this plan for my life. He keeps showing me that I'm enough. He is going to use what he's given me. and He's going to use me because he told me he was. And he does not lie. And he, his pure love and his a goodness, like just being enough because he said you're enough. It's beautiful because when you've never been enough for anyone in your entire life, knowing that your creator made you enough, it, it, it's freeing. It really is freeing because it, it's a peace that can't be described. Hearing you say that, because I have conversations in the context of pain and suffering, I always look at what is the redemption story here in this pain and suffering. But as I hear you talking right now, I am reminded that it's a continual redemption of us from birth to the moment that we meet him face to face. He's all about redeeming us and redeeming what the world tries to label us with or put on us or make us shameful or feeling guilty or or whatever. Our enemy is constantly trying to put this world on us. But God comes along and says, never mind him. Give me your pain. Give me your love. I want to redeem that with my great love because ultimately it was his love that overwhelmed the grave. And that's what I think he continually does for us Today, I'm just loving this little revelation that I've gotten listening to you talk about this redemption process of life, daily life, every day, all everything we can bring to him, everything we are, whatever this world puts on us, he's ready, standing there ready, waiting to love us through redemption. I love that. I love that. You mentioned earlier that some of the things that you use to stay grounded in the Lord is your music, scripture. You read God's word. How does it equip you? Is it that you use it to rewrite the lies? What is the power of the word for you in your life? I never understood this until recently, but the Bible says that the word is active and living. And if you read it as a book, it's not life changing, but you can read the same scripture two different days, two different times while you're enduring completely different things knowing that from the very beginning of time until now that the word has always been the same has always been the truth and that no matter who reads it it's still the truth and so 
when I look to a scripture to help me, sometimes it's in a corrective way because I can be my own worst enemy. My mind is my own worst enemy at times and overthinking and over processing things. So I can go back to that to ease my anxiety, to to ease my thoughts, because he's already told me over and over in his word that this is what it is. So sometimes for me, scripture is a corrective thing. And sometimes for me, it's inspirational. It's really according to what's going on in my life, but I use it to remind myself of who God is and what his plans for me are and that his love is pure. The word is instruction. It's a map. It's a guide. We will consult other methods in order to give us instruction or to find out how to do something. But the Bible addresses every aspect of human living or existence. You were talking about phases of life. So you're in one phase, you read the scripture, it says one thing to you. A couple of years later, whatever, you're in a different phase or a different situation and you come to the word and you see the same scripture and it speaks to you differently. Have you ever experienced that? The scripture that says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I come to give life and life more abundantly. At one time that meant to me that the devil had his plan for my life. His plan was to destroy me and destroy my purpose. And I seen it as God pulling me from that. And now when I think of that, I focus more on the life more abundantly because God didn't bring me through those things for me just to survive them. Survival never was just his plan. He brought me through them to thrive, to prosper. And I don't want to live in a survival mindset. So I can look at that scripture and know that even though that was the devil's plan, that God's plan was not just to bring me out of that. It's to give me an abundant life. And his plan is greater than just bringing you through it. He's a great God and he's a great father and he owns all the cattle on all the hilltops. And his plan is never for us to just survive. Oh, I made it through addiction. I, I made it through divorce. I made it through abuse. It's never just, I made it through. It's, I came through this victorious. I came through this and God changed me and he made me victorious. He made me beautiful. He made the broken parts in me. He healed them through this things that were broken before that I didn't even realize he's healed them through this. And he didn't ever plan for me to just be okay. I made it through. It's never his plan for anyone. It's just surviving. And I think we get so caught up in the survival mindset that we forget that God's plan for us is to thrive and to give us an abundant life. You're right. He's not a halfway God. He's not a mediocre God. He's exceedingly and abundantly more. And it reminds me of something you said earlier about what the word does for you, it gives you that peace that surpasses all understanding. And like you said, you can't find that anywhere else. There's no rival, no equal. He, he's got something that that hole in our hearts are looking for, and we will search for it everywhere until we find it in him. What do you know about God now that you didn't know before? I feel like you've really talked about how you went from that legalistic background that was unsettling, or at least you got mixed messages, and then you came into the knowledge of God, unless you can think of something else to add to that. I know after leaving the relationship I was in, everything in my life changed. My job ended. I had to move out of my home. Everything in my life changed within a month. And I kept asking God for peace and peace and peace and peace. 
then I was reading in my Bible one day and I read the scripture where it says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Then later, it may have been the next day or two, I was reading and it was talking about Christ living in you. And in that moment, I realized if Jesus is the Prince of Peace and Jesus lives in me, then I already have peace living in me. So I'm sitting here begging God for peace and I already have peace within me. That's one of the biggest things that in the past few years that I've learned. Once you realize that Jesus is peace and Jesus lives in you, so therefore you have peace within you. You have to surrender to that. God, I know life is overwhelming, but you live in me, so I have peace within me. I don't have to beg you for peace because it's already there. How powerful is that? Because you're reminding us that as believers, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we have access to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all the qualities of the Holy Spirit and all of the things that he brings into our life. We just need to agree with God on it. Is there any particular suggestion you would have on activating it? I think agreeing with it, like you said, might be enough, but is there anything else that comes to your mind when you want to activate what is already inside of you? Remind yourself who Jesus is, is a big thing because we can get so overwhelmed with how big our problem is and we forget how big our God is. They're reminding ourselves over and over who he is. He's God and he loves us so much. We can't even grasp how much he loves us. Knowing that he loves us that way is just beautiful. Sometimes it's easy to forget because life, life is just life. It has heartache and people hurt us and people are just people. Sometimes they're mean and you just have to remind yourself that regardless of what's going on today, what goes on an hour from now, tomorrow or 10 years from now, God is still the same. His qualities are still the same. What he wants for you is still the same. So reminding yourself of who God is and then reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. No matter what this world says, it all comes back to what does God say? What is his standard? What is his value of us? Because after all, he paid the price of every drop of his son's blood in order to purchase us back. What is a piece of advice that you'd give to someone facing the similar situation like you as far as someone who is searching for God in all the wrong places? I would definitely say that you're never too far gone. That is a lie that we feed into that you're too far gone, that you've done too much, that you have went too far, that you're unlovable. And so I would just say that no matter where you are, what you're going through, what you're doing in this very moment, that God loves you right where you are and he will reach down and redeem you from the very situation you're in no matter where you're at or what you're doing, because that is how much he loves you. That's soothing medicine to some hearts I know today. Is there anything that we cannot leave this conversation without you sharing? One of the biggest things about my story is that, and it's a lot of people have faced similar things, is I went through a childhood that shaped the way I thought about myself. Then I looked for peace and I looked for Jesus, even though I didn't know that's what I was looking for. I looked for that 
in men. I looked for that in relationships. I looked for that in money. I looked for that in drugs, anything that could fill that void. And I could never find it. After going through a program, learning who Jesus was and being set free from addiction, because his word says you are a new creation in Christ. So I believe 100% you're no longer an addict. You are set free and you're a new creation because that's how he sees me. That is the way I see myself. Even knowing all of that about myself and knowing all that about God, I still allowed myself to go through a situation for years and years with the belief that it was going to be a part of this testimony that God was writing in me. And so I think it's very important to not try to plan out your testimony, not try to plan out your story because you don't know what God's story is and trust is planned. I would have stayed in that relationship forever, regardless what happened, because I felt so legally bound to that because I thought the Bible was telling me I had to. I thought that God was going to redeem it. It was going to be this great story that I could share and that God was going to use that to save people's marriages. But that was never his plan. I think it's really important to remember that what we think God's plan is, is not always what God's plan is and let him have his way in our life and let him lead us and guide us and trust that Even on the darkest day, when you have no strength to go on, you have no reason to be alive. And it feels like, what am I doing here, God? Do I have a purpose? Even on those moments when you face the darkest times of your life and the wise, that God's purpose has for you has never changed. It's been the same regardless of when I was three years old to when I was 30 years old. God's purpose has always been the same and his purpose has always been good and it's always been love. And so I think it's just important for me and for everyone to know that no matter what you go through and life throws at you, that God still loves you and he, he has a purpose for your life. And it's important to let him have his way versus us trying to force his way. When it comes to discovering what God's plan for us versus what we think our plan should be. For instance, you were saying, I was praying that This was going to be this miracle story of overcome, but that was not God's plan. That's why you weren't seeing any sort of result or improvement there. Is there anything you could have done differently or you think you could have done differently? Submit sooner, maybe, but how do we know that? I could have changed a lot sooner if I had listened to the wisdom people were speaking into my life and if I would have listened more to the truths of God versus what I wanted the truths of God to be. Because like I said, his word didn't change. He hasn't changed. But what I wanted it to be was different. I wanted him to do different things because I wanted to feel like I was enough. So I just kept chasing after it. I can't tell you how many days I fasted and prayed and wrote the truths of God out about marriage and Mm -hmm. declarations of what God was going to do in my life. And they weren't coming true. And I would listen to podcasts and I would listen to worship music and I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? He was there the whole entire time. He just wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. So I felt like he was missing, but he wasn't missing at all. He was waiting for me to realize that this isn't my plan for you, Charlie. This is not what I have for you. I have a life plan for you that is far greater than you can imagine. And what you're asking me to do is not my best for you. 
if you would let go, just let go, then I will give you my best. It's hard sometimes to determine when you've made something an idol or you've made something your own expectations in a situation, but ultimately it comes back from leaning into God and listening and reading his word and pressing into him to find out what he has to say, because eventually you did come around to that. God does not waste any of the struggle. So clearly he has used those things. You mentioned something about the wisdom of people that were trying to speak into your life. Any particular thoughts on safe people or people you should look to for their wisdom versus people who may have a different agenda? That's very, very important because one thing I've realized coming from my own personal family is that's not someone that I ever want to go to for life-changing advice because knowing what I've known my whole life, the way they speak and they've spoken over me, that they're not going to speak that truth into my life. So that's one. And then another really important thing is coming from a relationship with someone who was verbally abusive and very manipulative that you can become codependent on that relationship and not even realize you're codependent, even though you're being hurt and abused, somehow you form this bond and some people call it a trauma bond, but knowing that they've manipulated you in the past, that they're not the person to go to for truth. So wherever your injury comes from, wherever the pain is coming from, that is not a source of wisdom. You're not going to find your wisdom there. For me, the best place I've ever found the best wisdom is counseling. I've always went to a Christ-based counselor, one that I could tell them, this is what's going on in my life. And they'll tell me the truth, even if it's corrective, even if it's not what I wanted to hear, I could take that home and read about it, pray about it. And because emotion is tied to a lot of people's advice, especially if someone loves us. For example, my family loved me and they believed in staying married regardless of what you've done. And you just sweep everything under the rug. If I would have taken my family's advice that no matter what would happen, like even though I'm their child, they still believe, make things work, make things work. So I knew not to go there for advice because they grew up in a generation to where everything swept under the rug. They had a personal opinion of everything. Right. So they were always on my side. Even if I was wrong, they would take my side because naturally that's kind of what we do and you may give people a little bit of correction in a way but mostly you're going to just love them and try to help them so i think it's very important to see someone outside of a situation that has the same beliefs as you do but they don't necessarily have emotions tied to your situation talking about that physical and verbal abuse my personal opinion on that is that the difference is one you can see physically and the other you cannot see, but it goes way deep and overshadows the majority of your life until you get healing or at least each time that it pops up that you rewrite it with the truths of God. Off the top of your head, can you think of one thing, something beautiful that God spoke into the dark? We've touched on so much. I didn't know if you had one thing, a moment that he said something that really changed your mindset or changed a situation, gave you revelation. You said even you learn a lot from your children. 
the worst thing that happened in my previous, my only marriage was a incident of physical abuse that happened in front of my children. My daughter, she's just so wise. When God told me that he was going to use her for his glory, I didn't really understand. And I still don't think I know everything he's going to do, but he's definitely used her so much from in my life already. But I hadn't made my mind up to do anything. But she said to me that love, because of the way her dad loved me, that it was okay. In that moment, I realized it was so overwhelming that I had to pull over on the side of the road that that was not love at all because God had already showed me what love was. And my little girl telling me that that was love. I realized that I had given her a false image of what love was supposed to be and that I was showing her something that was wrong. And in that moment, I knew God was showing me that this is your turning point. You have normalized something for her. And you can change that and she can heal from this. It's not going to be an easy process for her. It's not going to be an easy process for you, but I am going to bring something beautiful out of it. So God used a little four-year-old to remind me that his love is good and his love is great. And he has plans for us and that he has so much in store for our lives that, and so That was probably one of the darkest days of my life. And he used that. He used her and me wanting to be the best mother I can be because he says love is patient and love is kind and love is not self-seeking. It gave me freedom and peace. It took her saying that for God to open my eyes because, like I said, the moment she was born, I realized that I would do whatever it took to give her a better life. I want to show my children love. I want them to know the love of God. I want them to know the love of a parent. So for her to tell me that that is what love was, it struck something so deep because God had showed me what love was. Hmm. Even though I'd never experienced a love that didn't have a motive, he showed me what love was. That moment changed my entire mindset on how I was going to live my life because I wanted to show her the same love God has shown me. God's love trumps that sort of example of love that we have here in our existence, the way we live, the way we find value in love or the way we define love. It sounds like there's been revelation after revelation as you press into the Lord and discover who he is. And in that relationship, that intimate relationship with him, he gives you a revelation through your daughter, a revelation through the word. Charlie? Thank you for your time today. You have been a blessing. Your transparency, I know, is going to help heal some hearts, help give somebody else revelation that they can have that intimate relationship with God. Thank you for moving my audience from the belief system or the mindset that God is mad with you to God is madly in love with you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. 
look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.